going through the Psalms. I don't know if you guys um, realize this or not, but I, I kind of have the natural inclination to go in depth, usually when I'm teaching uh, through the Bible. And so it's kind of a challenge for me sometimes to be able to go uh, through chapters at a time. But there's a place for that, huh? There really is a place for that as far as going through the books and uh, covering uh, chapters uh, at a time. And the Psalms are definitely a great place for that. Uh, um, after we go through our Psalms today, uh, we only have uh, just a little over 50 Psalms and we'll be done with it. And it's been a blessing. You know, it really has. I know for me it has. Because when you read the Psalms, you read a lot about Christ. You read a lot about when you go through the hard times in life, how God wants us to uh, really turn to Him and, uh, and find our encouragement in Him. And uh, one thing that you can always, always uh, pretty much bank on is that people within the congregation are going through hard times, man. And in one way or another, you know, there's always uh, something going on in our life. And that's why it's so cool to be able to read the Psalms. And uh, I think I've shared with you guys before that it, it's uh, probably a good idea, although I, I can't make you guys do it, to read your proverb each day, you know, to read your psalm, whatever the day is. Today's the 19th, and so you read your proverb 19, and you go through the month, and man, I'm telling you, man, you will you will get a lot of wisdom. Now, God will remind you of those basic things about being a man, being a parent, being a, you know, a wise guy instead of a fool. I mean, things like that. So you go through your Proverbs each day. But I really encourage you, man, I just, man, challenge you to go through the Psalms as well. I know Joey has mentioned it in the past, you know, because um, as you go through the Psalms, the Lord really ministers to you. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I try to do is like, for example, if today's the 19th, then I'll read Psalm 19 and then I'll add 30 to that. Psalm 49, Psalm 79, Psalm 109 and Psalm 1. What is that? 39? Yeah. OK. Um, <laughs> and if you do that each day, you actually go through the Psalms each month as well. And um, I would encourage you to man, just pray, ask God to give you the, uh, you know, the if that's your conviction. And I, I really believe it'll it'll really make a difference in your life. Today I was talking to a lady after one of the services and she was telling me how after the study she goes home and she literally meditates upon them. And that what she does at night is she'll meditate on the studies and then she'll just worship. She'll worship the Lord. And I was really challenged by that as well because one of the things that I struggle with, and I think I've confessed this to you before, and you're probably saying, Manny, it's been too long now, but I struggle with ending the day on the right note, you know? I struggle with that. I feel like at the end of the day, like I've run out of gas and that I don't finish well each day. And so the Lord is really challenging me lately to end the day in worship and to the end, end the day in the Psalms. And, you know, um, you probably have to do it before you get really tired huh you can't wait until you get really tired because then when you try to do it you're like oh, okay i better wake up and read my psalms it's not going to happen so maybe take a cold shower you know <laughs> and uh and say okay lord i'm going to finish the day right finish the day and, and examine my life my heart how to go and you spend some time in worship maybe or in the psalms and uh and i really i just think it's so cool um if god leads you in that way um, but anyways, um, Psalm 94 and 95, a couple of songs that actually kind of go together. Um, they're talking about rest, and, and we're going to see that. Um, a beautiful psalm, and uh, they challenge us even during the hard times to worship. And when you come to that point in your life of really worshiping God during the hard times, it's then that you find yourself coming to a place where you belong. Because then you take so much uh, leverage, so much ammunition away from the enemy and you actually uh, you fight with the spiritual weapons of your warfare and God just, it's an amazing thing that he does. Because we read here in Psalm 94, look what it says in verse 1. It says, O, o Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, um, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity, they boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, 
and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. Here we see really probably the background to this psalm is the Babylonian invasion. Now, more than likely, it wasn't the Babylonian captivity. Otherwise, usually when they're carried away, they'll mention something about coming back to the land or you know, not being able to worship there in the temple. And so more than likely, remember, the Babylonians did three sieges against Israel. And so this is probably between you know, the, the first siege and the third siege in which the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, were coming against the land and they were, they were rendering you know, some pretty, pretty crazy things to the people of God. Here we see in verse 1, the Lord uh, really <laughs> wants them uh, to be judged by, um, the, the, the psalmist wants them to be judged by the Lord. He says, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongs, O God, to whom vengeance belongs, shine forth. You know, we saw what they were doing, how they were, you know, breaking in pieces the people of God, how they had no mercy on the widow, no mercy on the orphan. And we know that was the conduct of the Babylonians, that was the conduct of the godless nations that surrounded Israel. And so in light of that, wouldn't this be the cry of your heart? I mean, this would be it. You're like, Lord, how long? God, take vengeance on these evil and wicked people. You know, I like what we see right here. It says, to whom vengeance belongs. To whom vengeance belongs. You know, and, and it's important for us to know that vengeance belongs to him. You know, now, now we're not in the situation nationally necessarily. We're not in the situation congregationally where we're surrounded by the Babylonians. But you might be in situations personally and someone's wronged you or things are happening to you or maybe to your loved ones. And man, I, I don't know about you, man, but man, you want to take things into your own hands huh? sometimes, man. You want to go and you want to, you know, beat somebody up or you want to settle accounts or you want to take vengeance. And, and the Bible says that, that you shouldn't do that. Why? It's because it doesn't belong to you. It, it literally belongs to the Lord. Let him take care of it. Don't take it into your own hands. And we read that in Deuteronomy 32, 35. The same chapter, verse 41, where the Bible says vengeance belongs to the Lord. You know, vengeance from God is not the sense of vindictiveness as much as it is the sense of just retribution by the eternal judge for the trespasses against his law. You know, it's not like God is getting even or God is being vindictive. It's just that God is just. And as a result of that, he will bring forth the perfect punishment and that's so cool to know especially when you look out in the world today and you see all the wickedness and the depths of the depravity the of the things that are going on huh i mean the to me i think the ones that hurt the most are the ones against the kids huh some of you have been been victims of that you're growing up and things happen and there goes your you know your uncle or whoever it is and these individuals that have done these things and it seems like they've gotten away with it Next thing you know, they're, they're doing it to this individual or other things are happening all around the world uh, and, and, you, and you just wonder, Lord, when? How long? But one day, every wrong will be made right, huh? And it will be that perfect punishment from God. See, that's so cool to know. We're going to look at that later, how when God teaches us these things in, in His Word, you know, we don't freak out. We don't fret because we know one day God's going to take care of all that. Romans twelve nineteen says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And so we need to trust Him. We need to make sure that we're not anxious, that we're not afraid, that God will shine forth. A really cool verse, if you want to write it down and maybe look it up later, is Isaiah 35, verse 4, where it says, Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And it's so cool to know that, you guys. I don't know what you've been through or what you're going to go through or what your loved one will be facing one day. 
But never forget what the Bible teaches. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. It's okay to pray, though. Lord, can you kind of step in? <laughs> you know, and I look at the world today. Do you think it's wrong or, or right to say, Lord, can you come now? <laughs> you know, Lord, this world is so wicked. I mean, I know I want my loved ones to get saved, but I tell you what, let them be tribulation saints, man. <laughs> Lord, come now because things are so bad. And I think that's what he's saying. Lord, come Bring that vengeance. And, and what he says right there, shine forth, it's a really beautiful Hebrew expression. It literally means reveal your splendor, reveal your majesty. And, and some people believe he's even crying out for a theophany. Now, if that's the case, it would be the same as John the Beloved saying, Maranatha, Lord, come. And I think that's really the cry of our hearts. He says there in verse 2, Lord, rise up. O judge of the earth, render punishment to the proud. He says in verse 3, Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? You know, you read that there, and I know that we can kind of mull over it. And of course, like I said earlier, we can't go in depth in the Psalms, but just so that you know when you're reading the Bible, whenever you see something repeated, especially a couple of times, there's a real, real, uh, uh, actually from what I understand, and I learned this, is that in, in the Jewish language, there's a real uh, inclination of an endearment. Uh, for example, when Jesus was calling you know, to, to, Mar- to Martha, 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 you know, and that was actually a, a term or an expression or of an inclination of endearment towards her. And you see it over and over again throughout the Bible, you know. Um, And and here we see the same thing now, though. It's kind of, you know, given back to the Lord. He repeats that. It's almost kind of funny to read. How long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? It almost reminds me of Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, when the uh, tribulation saints say the same thing. It says that they cried with a loud voice, saying, how long? O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. You know, and I, and I think it's kind of okay to say how long. Um, I, I think, you know, at the same time, though, we have to remember that God's never late. You know, we tend to look at the microwave and watch the countdown, 10, 9, 8, come on, hurry up, you know. (laughs) And God is going to come in at just the right time. He says right there, how long will the wicked triumph? Literally in the Hebrew, how long will the wicked celebrate? You know, they think they're they're winning, that the enemy. And when I think of my enemies, I I can't think of a specific person, to be honest with you. I thank God that I don't think I have, you know, enemies like that. I'm not sure. But I think more along the lines of the demonic realm, I think. And, and you know, they you know, are there and they're doing their thing. And it's like, Lord, you know, when will the day come when all that will be over? He says in verse 4, they utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. Literally, they spew out threats and speak defiantly. All the evildoers boast. And notice what the depravity of their doings are. Again, we read in verse 7, they break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. Think about that, breaking in pieces the people. Now, we know in the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, it talks about them you know, um, actually ripping women open who were pregnant, taking their children. And, you know, it goes back and forth because sometimes the Jews ask for the same thing, taking the little kids and dashing them against the rocks. That's what they were doing. They were breaking in pieces the people of God, literally. It says right there, they slay the widow and the stranger and they murder the fatherless. I mean, talk about being ruthless. And I remember talking to my son about this and and just telling him the way that the enemy is, how God is love, um, how God is light, and how the enemy is pure hatred and darkness. And there is absolutely no compassion. I mean, you would think, well, there's got to be compassion for the orphan or the widow, um, but there isn't. 
And that's what we see was taking place. As they're doing all these things, notice what they have the audacity to say in verse 7. The Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. You know, And maybe they believed in their foreign gods. That's why they're mentioning specifically the Lord, God's covenant name. They're mentioning specifically the God of Jacob who doesn't see or understand. Or maybe they're just atheistic. You know, they don't believe in a God at all. They don't believe that the day will come when they will stand before him in any way. You know, F.B. Meyer said wicked men are like ostriches, you know, and they bury their their heads in the sand, you know, and they and they think that they'll never have to stand before God, you know, and, and that's why they do what they do. You know, and this is where atheism leads us. You know, this is where uh, the mentality of our, our society now is going. You know, they think, it's kind of funny how they think, huh, you guys, how they think if we can take away the religions of the world and the Christians and the Jews and, you know, the, the moral, uh, you know, minority, then, you know, we'll be better off. That's what they think, huh? But when you take away the Almighty and you take away the absolute authority of the Almighty, then it, it digresses into a deeper depravity. And therefore, there's no reason why, you know, a man can't be married to a man and then eventually a man can't be married to a boy and then eventually a, a man can't be married to an animal. Why not? Who says it's wrong? Who are you? You're just a person. And there's no authority. There's no God. And it just gets wicked. And it finds itself in a deeper depravity. You see, it's the end of a society that removes the Almighty, that removes the absolutes. On the flip side, for us, we've got to know that God sees everything. You can't hide anything from Him. Nothing that God understands everything that we're doing, not only what we're doing, but why we're doing it. And that's why it's important for us to know that one day we, even as Christians, we will stand before God and we will give an account. You know, what type of husband were you? What type of minister were you? What type of father were you? You know, and you can, you know, fool everybody, us, the men around you and, and everyone else, but, you know, you can't fool God. And, and it's so important for not only them to see, but for us to see that God sees and God knows why we do what we do. And one day we'll stand there at the Bema seat. And I hope, I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. There's a good, have you guys ever seen the video of the Bema seat? The Bema seat? Oh, man, I thought you guys were saved, man. <laughs> Seriously, man, it is Awesome. Have you seen it, Martin? You haven't? Jesse, you have? Who has seen it? Okay, let's all stand. Have them stand. (laughs) I am so serious, man. It is really, really, really awesome. It'll make you cry. It'll make you weep. And it just brings to light the fact that one day we will stand before God and we're going to give an account of our life. You know, we know that as Christians, we're not going to be judged for our sins because that was already taken care of at Calvary. But we will be judged for our works. Not only our works, but the motives for our works. Like I said, why we did what we did. And so everything's going to be put into the fire. And, you know, the, the stuff that was real, the stuff that was really there for the glory of God and not for our own glory or own whatever desires, but really for our desire to serve Him will be like gold and silver and precious metals going into the fire. And it's going to be tested. But if it's all because of me doing what I want to do or whatever the mismotives might be, then it's going to be all burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. And when they pull it out, there's nothing left. And so it's cool to know that God sees, that God understands. And what that makes me want to do is really search my heart and do my best anyways to purify my motives. But getting back to what the psalmist is saying, these guys were saying, hey, no one sees, no one understands. You know, with God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, man, he doesn't see. And yet the Bible says in Hebrews 4.13, there was no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
And God not only sees everything, he hears everything. Look what it says in verse 8. Understand, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? And as they're there, and they're, they're boasting against God, um, as they're there doing, even they themselves know because of the conscience, even they themselves know that dashing infants against the rock and, and murdering widows and murdering orphans and strangers and the like, even they themselves know it's wrong. As they're there violating their own conscience, the psalmist is reminding them, and I think the people are reminding themselves that one day they will give an account. You know, God sees everything we're doing. The Bible describes Jesus with eyes of flames of fire. And what that does is that means he penetrates, you know, kind of like Superman saw, you know, through the walls and zoom. And he just goes in and he sees everything. And he hears everything. You know, he hears your thoughts. That's, that's kind of scary, you know. He hears your thoughts. And he sees why we do what we do. I mean, he who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? You know, one day, the Bible says in Matthew twelve thirty six that every idle word will be brought into account. Jesus said to them, I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. Okay, now we've been Christians here for a while now, right? Have you guys learned the importance of just being so careful with your words? Have you guys learned that yet? Have you learned not to go off on your wife? Not to go off on your kids? Not to go off on the guy who cut you off on the freeway? Have you learned to be very careful with your words? Now, I don't know. This is kind of a questionable verse as far as you know how it all works um, as Christians. Is that going to apply to us as well? You know, all I know is that at the Bema seat, everything's brought there. And I know this, that when I read things like that, you know, it makes me very careful. Sometimes people think that they can speak in their tents. You know, they're there in their tents. Now, who are you going to talk to in your tent? Well, you're going to talk to your family. You're going to talk to your wife. You're going to talk to your husband. And you're going to think that it's okay for me to say whatever I want to say right here. But it's not. Because sometimes husbands will poison their wives. Wives will poison their husbands. Sometimes they'll poison their kids. And they talk about, you know, the ministry or they just talk about whatever it is, you know, tearing other people down. And, and then they wonder why their children don't have an honor for, you know, individuals in the ministry or in the Lord or, or just for life itself. So... The Lord hears. That, that's what he's saying. The Lord hears. The Lord sees. And God will bring everything into account. Look what he says in verse 10. He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge? Now it's kind of interesting here in verse 10. He says, he who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? You know, when you look at these things, you see the Lord will actually deal with not only the individuals, but he will deal with the nations. You know, God is the one who teaches man knowledge. It says there in verse 11, the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are futile. Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law. In verse 12, um, interesting verse. Um, how many of you here, anybody here have an old King James? Okay, and you'll notice in verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man whom the Lord chasteneth. Huh? The Lord chastens. And the word is disciplines. And, you know, what ends up happening, you guys, is that God disciplines not just us, but he'll discipline individuals. It's an opportunity for them to grow. Psalm 119, verse 67 says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Psalm 119, 71 said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Job 5, 17 says, Behold, happy is the man 
whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. And 1 Corinthians 11.32 says, But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. You see, God will correct. Um, God will chasten us for our own benefit. And it's kind of interesting, because look again at verse 12. Blessed is the man whom you instruct or chasten, O Lord, and teach, where? Out of your law. And so it's a combination of God's belt and God's Bible, right? <laughs> That's what we call it, the Bible belt, man. <laughs> and it's true, man, because when God spanks you and he gets your attention, it's then that you have to open up the word and he begins to speak to you. I don't think God would ever spank you without telling you why. I don't think God would ever bring confusion into your life and you're wondering, well, is this a trial or is this a, a chastening? I think our Heavenly Father will tell you that He's spanking you. And then what He'll do is He'll speak to you through the Scriptures and right there and then when that dross rises to the surface, it's right there and then that you're at a crossroads. What will you do with the dross? Will you skim it off? Or will you kind of let it kick and, and it stays and next thing you know, you're not in the fire anymore and it goes back into your life. See, God will take his belt and he will take his Bible and he will instruct us in life. And this is where we live. The instructor will deal with us as Christians. We know in the scriptures that he will deal with all the nations of the world. That's what we read right here in verse 10. He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? You look at Russia and they think they're all bad, you know. Look at China, they think they're all bad. And Iran and all these nations. And the Bible says they're like dust on the scale. They're like a, a drop of water. I mean, the Bible says in Revelation 19.15 that out of the mouth of Christ comes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. God's going to do that. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You know, and if he can handle the nations, can I ask you a question? Can he handle your enemies? Oh, absolutely. He can. No matter how warped they are. As a matter of fact, Verse 11 is an interesting verse. It says, The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are futile. The Lord knows the peoples, literally, that the thoughts are morally bankrupt, that their thoughts are worthless. And so what does he do? He comes and he brings the instruction. Verse 12 again, Blessed is the man whom you instruct, O Lord, and teach out of your law, that you may give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. Now here we read that the rest that God wants us to have, there in verse 13, that you may give him rest, doesn't necessarily come from the cessation of the trial, in other words, that it's over, but it comes in the revelation of the truth, that it might not be today, but one day we will have the cessation of these trials. Jesus said, you know, in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. Why? For I have overcome the world. You know, and sometimes I wonder in my life, and I got to be honest with you, because I, I go through trials. I think we all do. And sometimes I wonder, Lord, when will this end? When? And, and I haven't heard yet. You know, he hasn't said, you know, November 16th or anything, you know. Sometimes I hear in the back of my mind, when you die or when you're raptured. Until this life is over, those trials won't end. But that's okay. Because even if it takes that long, even if you have to go through the fire the whole time, we know that one day we will be home. And that's really what ends up happening. 
You know, you give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit is dug for the wicked. One day the pit will be dug for the wicked and they're going to take hell and they're going to take the Antichrist and, and devil and the false prophet and they're all going to throw him in the lake of fire. One day that they'll be done with. That, that day will come. But until then, even until then, between that day and today, I can have, it says right here, rest. I can have rest. Even though I go through the trials, I can still have rest. Even between then and now. Psalms 37, 7, it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. God says, Rest in the Lord. You know, one day every wrong will be made right. One day justice will prevail. You know, and you not only look to the future, but you look deeper into the present and you find that joy. I love what it says in Psalm 116, verse 7. It says, Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. God here teaches us and he reaches us with the truth that rest is because of the fact that we know him, because of the fact that we're saved and we have that intimate and personal relationship with him. You don't know what you're going through, you know, and I know we go through things. I know for sure. And you may think, well, Manny wouldn't understand. And I don't know if I would or wouldn't. I I don't know. But I know that he understands And I know that if you know the Lord, then wherever you're at in life, you can have that peace that surpasses understanding. You can have that rest where there's no working and there's no fretting and there's no worrying and there's no anxiety and there's no anxiousness and there's no bouncing off the walls. You know, there's none of that. There's, again, that peace that surpasses understanding because you're, you're carrying the yoke that you're supposed to carry. Like Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When do we start freaking out, you guys? When, when, when do we lose our rest? When do we lose our peace? What do you guys think? We try to handle our own we try to handle our own problems, do it on our own strength, right? What else? Not only doing His will on our own strength, but what else? Those trials come, right? And we're trying to do I guess like in that in that case you could see maybe sometimes you know the will of God um, manifested in trials, but how about when you get outside the will of God and you start doing things that really you're not supposed to do and you're carrying a yoke that you shouldn't be carrying, and what you find is that when you link back up to Jesus and you come to Him and you take His yoke upon you, there is a burden to bear. There will be times of great sacrifice, I believe. I believe God calls us out of our comfort zones. I think there's a lot of Christians who just resist being inconvenienced. Big time. A lot of Christians like that. This, oh man, it just doesn't kind of flow (laughs) with what I feel, you know? But at the same time, I think there's some Christians who are too busy to check in with the Lord. And so, you know, they find themselves carrying, uh, bearing up a yoke that they, they shouldn't bear. You know, I know right here we read that he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And, you know, God may call you to do some incredible things. You know, my pastor always used to tell me, God can use your life. God can use your life. And, um, and I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been a Christian, what's been going on. If you submit your heart to him, and you make your heart tender before Him, and you seek Him, He will use your life 
greatly. Greatly. I'm not saying you're going to be great because none of us are great. But He will use your life greatly when you do His will. I've seen that. And it's a real, real cool thing. But as we go through life, we've got to understand that this is the way it works. And He gives us that rest when we do His will. Even though the enemy's there and the adversity is there. And, you know, the wicked are there. Read in verse 14, it says, For the Lord will not cast off His people, nor will He forsake His inheritance. But judgment will return to righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would have soon settled in silence. If I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. How many of you here would admit to anxieties, worries? Oh, I, I, you guys are cool, man. I wasn't even <laughs> You're like, yeah, I would. You know, and, and a lot of times I don't think we would, but that's one of the beautiful things about the Psalms, huh? And I think it's okay just to pour out your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, help me with this, because this thing is just pounding me. This is pounding me. But he, he, he deals with all these things here in an honest way. And in looking at this, I think there's a lot of things that we are familiar with, especially as New Testament Christians. He says there in verse 14, For the Lord will not cast off His people, nor will He forsake His inheritance. Now we know in the context of speaking of Israel. And God will never, ever forsake Israel even though they've gone through stuff and people will look at what they went through, you know, they, oh, God left them. No, God will never forsake His people. And there they are back in the land and God's going to take care of them. And one day they're going to come to Him. It's going to be so amazing. Romans 9, 10, and 11, it talks about how God is going to stick with His people, but not just Israel, the us, huh? As Christians, will He ever forsake us? No, the Bible says, you know, explicitly, Hebrews 13, 5, Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? The Great Commission, I want you to go and I want you to do the work of the ministry. All authority has been given to me. Go, get busy, start serving me. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. As long as you stay low and humble, he's with you always, right? No, he's promised to be with us. Will God ever forsake us? No. You know, and, and we see here in, in verse 16, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? Is, for, is God for us? He's for us, huh? We read that in the Bible. And if God is for me, then who can be against us, right? Here we two, read two times, for me, for me, God's for me. We read right here, as we continue on, that the Lord in verse 17 is our helper. Sound familiar? Who's the helper? The Holy Spirit, huh? He is our helper. We read that throughout the scriptures. If it weren't for the Lord, man, we'd all be dead. But since God is on our side and since God is in our corner, you just stay focused on Him and watch what He does. Look what He says right here in verse 17. And unless the Lord had been my help, my soul would soon have settled in silence. What do you think that means? You won't, be, you won't talk as much? No, that's not what it means. The Hebrew word is sheol. It means you're dead. <laughs> and I tell my kids all the time, you know, because we're a ministry family, I say, you know, the devil will try to get me. And if he can't get me, he's going to try to get your mom. If he can't get your mom, he's going to try to get you. If it wasn't for... shield around us we'd be dead and and you guys you're the apple of his eye and if it weren't for him you know we'd be dead how many of us here even before we were a christian we should have died right so many times man so many times whether it be the drugs that we took i don't know how much drugs i took you know or how you know we did all these different things you know but the lord he preserves his people and right there in verse 19, he comforts us. Who's the comforter? 
It's just the Lord, huh? It's just totally the Lord that he's speaking about right here. You know, when worries threaten to overwhelm us, the New English translation says, your soothing touch makes me happy. I like that. The NLT says, when doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. Here we see in verse 20 that the psalmist mentions the throne of iniquity. Speaking of the evil leaders and cruel rulers, he says there in verse 20, shall the throne of iniquity which devises evil by law, who's that? Obama, right? (laughs) You're reading it right there, man. It's right there. Shall the throne of iniquity which devises evil by law, that's literally what he's saying, have fellowship with you? They gather together against the life of the righteous and condemn innocent blood, but the Lord has been my defense and my God, the rock of my refuge. He has brought on them their own iniquity and shall cut them off in their own wickedness. The Lord our God shall cut them off. You know, and I know we're freaking out. And I know, you know, I was t- we were talking to the guys yesterday on the way home from Rosarito. We're like, man, governor of California, wh- look at the options that we have. I mean, it's crazy. I was telling the guys, you know, why don't you run for governor or something? <laughs> I mean, how is it that it's so difficult to find a man of education, a man of integrity willing to step up and lead our, our, our city or our, our, our state or our nation? But... Man, it's just like, man, it's like, you know, pardon my French, but it's, it's like a cesspool. You know, and you might look at that and you might wonder, well, where's God? God is still on the throne. And although they devise evil by law, God will condemn the wicked. And in that condemnation, it might not be today, it might be one day later down the road, the psalmist here finds comfort. And I think we need to as well, man. It may not happen today, but it will happen one day. And so we read in Psalm 95. He says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with songs. Now, believe it or not, these psalms, they all begin to flow together. And it's really cool. I like the way that these follow each other. Psalms 95 is uh, considered to be a, a classic psalm simply because we've acknowledged the, the beautiful wording and the songs that have followed as a result of that. F.B. Meyer said, Few of the psalms have entered so deeply into the worship of the church as this. It abounds in bold metaphors and comparisons calculated to awaken praise as well as a searching of the heart. You know, more than likely, this psalm right here, we're going to see with its reverences to the wilderness wanderings, may have been written by David to sing during the Feast of Tabernacles. During this feast, the people of Israel lived in booths, remembering God's provision for them in the wilderness. In verses 1 through 7a, we see more or less a positive call to worship. And then in verses 7b through 11, we see more or less, I guess you could say, a negative warning of wrath. And so here's the invitation. You guys ready? Come. Let's all get together. Let's sing to the Lord. Anybody here willing to sing? Can you guys sing? Can you sing? You're like, oh, no, I just listen. (laughs) Just come, let's sing right here to the Lord. Sing to who? Sing to the Lord. Right there, anybody here willing to shout? Shout, yeah, let's hear. Amen. Amen. (laughs) We're so reserved. We're so conservative, man. We just worship the Lord with our hands folded nice and neat. One day when you're in heaven, you're going to trip yourself out, man. (laughs) It's going to be total, full-on, no holds barred worship of God. So he says, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully, he says right there. Notice, to the rock of our salvation. I know as we go through this, we're going to see probably the context here 
is he's speaking to the children of Israel and, and, and how God had brought them out of Egypt. That's a big thing. I don't know if you guys remember the story back in the book of Exodus, man, but they were plugged in. Man. They were plugged into Egypt and they were slaves. They were slaves. They were peons. They were nothing. They had nothing. They had no defense. They had no hope. But God set them free. God saved them. And we're going to see right here that the psalmist wants them to rejoice in their salvation. But what happened when they came out of Egypt? What happened? Didn't last long, huh? I think it lasted like two days, man. <laughs> and next thing you know, they're complaining against God. Next thing you know, they're going back to Egypt in their hearts. After all that God had done for them. And for us, it's a greater than Egypt experience. Because God came down and died on a cross for us. Think about that. He was nailed to a cross for us. And it wasn't just some physical land and some pharaoh. I mean, it was, it was hell and it was the devil that he defeated and he brought us out. And, you know, we come out of Egypt and we're saved. We are saved. This is the rock of our salvation. And so many times we want to go back to Egypt. And it's crazy. And so he says, man, let's worship the Lord. Let's shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And, when I, and I share with this with you guys many times. The Lord Jesus, he told his disciples, you know, don't be all happy when you see, you know, miracles and signs and wonders. And, you know, I know we would probably be like, you know, we'd be blogging and Facebooking. If we cast out a demon or something, you know, we'd be telling the whole world, I cast out a demon, you should have seen it, you know. But Jesus said, don't, don't, that's not a reason to rejoice. He said, rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. You know, and I do rejoice over the fact that that individual right there was set free. And that's a beautiful thing. But our worship must be rooted in our salvation. Because that right there is, is something that doesn't change. It's the rock of our life. And therefore, we must worship. We must shout, it says right there. He's the rock of our salvation. F.B. Meyer said, God is rock by virtue of his steadfastness and unchangeableness. You know, this last summer when we went camping, it was so cool, and we saw that it was a big, huge rock. I think probably the biggest rock that I've seen, other than maybe like some... Would those mountains in Yosemite, would that be considered a rock? Okay, well, that's bigger. Okay. <laughs> well, this is the biggest rock I sat on, and, uh, <laughs> and it was just a huge rock, and I was thinking, wow, no one's going to move this rock. You know, that's going to stay here. And the rock is a symbol of, you know, strength and unchangeableness. And that's who the Lord is, right? He's our rock. But not only that, it was during the wilderness wandering that they encountered a rock, huh? Remember the rock? What did, what did the rock do? Give them water when there was no water. Give them water in a dry and thirsty land, right? And that's who the Lord is. Guys, it's him. He's our rock. There's no other rock. There's no other rock except him. And he quenches your thirst. And he satisfies your soul. And we know that we got the water because the rock was smitten, right? Jesus died to provide that water for us, the Holy Spirit who now lives inside of us. And then now we speak to the rock. All we have to do is speak to the rock and he gives us water. This is what he says. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, again, shout joyfully, just in case you're wondering, there's confirmation right there, man. Shout joyfully to him with psalms. I love that. He says, for the Lord is the great God and the great king above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills 
are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hands. And he does so many beautiful things here, huh? You know, when you look at the Lord, He is our Savior, saving us from hell. He's our God, we read right here in verse 3. He's our King, we see in verse 3. It says right here that in His hand are the valleys and the mountains and the seas. They're all His. He owns them by means of creating them. He made them. He formed them. F.B. Meyer said, however high we climb or low we descend, in whatever condition we find ourselves, there is always certain evidence of God and a theme for praise. And he gives such a beautiful thing. I know uh, a lot of times people will tell you that it's not about your posture. And, and it's true. You know, you can sit down and, and pray. And, and I like to stand up and pray, to be honest with you, because it keeps me awake. And I just, I like kind of just walking you know, sometimes in the backyard or in the garage, or sometimes I'll walk around the sanctuary right here, you know, and I'll walk through the aisles and I'll just pray to the Lord, you know, when I'm here by myself. But there is a place for kneeling down. There is a place for, for getting down, bowing down, and, and paying homage to the Lord. And that's what he says right there. Come, let's worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. And he gives again the reason there. He is our God. And it says right there that we are the people of his pasture, the sheep. There it is again of his hand. And not only did his hand make us. Remember when you read in the, in the garden, it says that he took and he formed it with his hand and he breathed into it the breath of life. Not only did his hand make us, but his hand maintains us. And he feeds us and he takes care of us. Kind of like my dog Chip. Every day I wake up in the morning and I pour his water and I let him outside and I pet him. Because he's so funny. It doesn't matter. It could be 5.30 in the morning and he'll be hopping up like Tigger. You know, he'll just be kind of hopping up waiting for me. And we'll go outside and I'll pet him and I'll give him biscuits. And it's out of the hand that I, that I maintain him and I feed him. And, and that's the way the Lord is with us. It's his hand that made us. It's his hand that maintained us. And so what does he say? He says, this has got to be our heart. See, in looking at this right here, two things I think that are important. Number one, you got to know who God is. And number two, you got to know who you are. See, he's our God. We are his people. He's our king and our shepherd. And we, it says right there, are the sheep. Of his hand. We are the people, notice it says, of his pasture. And when you read throughout the Bible about the sheep and the shepherd relationship and how he calls us by name and we follow him and he leads us to green pastures and he makes us to lie down beside still waters and just all the things that he does for us, he anoints our head with oil. I mean, it's just so cool to know that that's, that's who we are. That's who we are. You know, and we have under-shepherds in life. And I praise God for my under-shepherds in life. But never forget your pastor with a capital P. <laughs> right? Your shepherd. Your chief shepherd. Right? Your great shepherd. Your good shepherd. John chapter 10 talks about the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. I always trip out on David. I always trip out on David. I mean, who would fight a bear for a sheep? Anybody here? Set of curiosity. <laughs> unless you're looking for trouble. Unless, you know, I don't know. But, you know, and you find a bear for a sheep. Or you, you find a lion. A lion for a sheep. And that right there, he's a picture of our, our true shepherd who actually died for the sheep. Why would the shepherd die for the sheep? It just doesn't make sense. But we know in the scriptures it's because of the great love that he has for us. And so he says, you know, look what God has done. He's brought us this salvation 
worship Him. And we know that it's not just singing, although, you know, please don't erase that. You know, that's a part of it. Worship through song and music is a huge part of what we're going to be doing in heaven. It is. You read the book of Revelation and you see it, man. It's going to be awesome. I remember one time I went to a worship conference and there was this true and total worship going on for a whole weekend. And I'm telling you, man, I came out glowing. It was just so awesome. There's something about that. But we know it's more than that. It's also our life, right? Our bodies at living sacrifice. And so he says right there, listen, man, this is who God is. This is who you are. Okay, this is what we do need to do. Notice what he says right there in verse 7, today. Today. And I know you might think that this is an insignificant day. It's just another Sunday. And as a matter of fact, it's just a Sunday night service. But <laughs> this is where we're at. Today. And it will always be today. If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. For 40 years I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Wow. One of the few psalms that ends more or less, you know, with a warning, not like an upswing, you know. But it's okay because I think we need to end with that word of warning and, and word of encouragement as well. Today, if you hear his voice, he says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And, and what he's talking about right here is when the children of Israel hardened their hearts. When God had done this and God did this and God did this, not just implicitly, but explicitly. I mean, things that God did to show himself strong. But for some reason, they wouldn't allow the work of God to penetrate their hearts. And kind of like even with the apostles, imagine all the miracles that Jesus did, right? But then, you know, as time progresses, you know, their hearts were hard. And so, you know, the Lord fed the 5,000 plus women and children. He fed the 4,000 plus women and children. And so do you ever think you're going to have any problems with bread? I don't think so. He's going to take care of the bread situation, right? That's what we would think. But there they go. They go on the boat and the Lord says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And what are they thinking? Oh, it's because we didn't bring any bread. We're in trouble now. And the Lord said, Why is your heart so hard? Can't you see what I'm doing? I mean, I know it's not according to your agenda. And I know I'm not doing things exactly the way that you would do them. But I'm God. And I'm showing you who I am. Trust me. And let my love sink in. And let my power sink in. And let, you know, my life penetrate your heart. You know, that's the warning here. That's the main warning here. Not necessarily that they lusted after leaks, although that was probably pretty bad. And not necessarily that they you know, even wanted to elect a new leader and go back to Egypt. That's not really even the thing that he's primarily warning about. He's primarily warning about not allowing the work and ways of God, the beautiful, amazing, wonderful things that he's doing right now and that he's already done in your life, not allowing that to settle and sink in. What happened? You forgot? Did you erase it? Did you delete it? Don't you remember who he is and what he's done? That with an outstretched arm, he brought you out. He gave you life. He parted the Red Sea. He said, don't be like them. You know, they tested me. They tried me. He says, and, and I had to discipline them for 40 years. I was grieved with that generation. Notice what it says right here. And said, so this is what God said. God said this. It is a people who go astray where? In their hearts. And they were still a part of the congregation. And they were still Jews. And they physically, they didn't go back to Egypt. But spiritually they did. As a matter of fact, that's what Stephen said later. 
He said, you know what? In their hearts, they went back to Egypt in Acts chapter 7, verse 39. And you read about the people and it just breaks your heart. And so what ends up happening in verse 11, God says, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You know, and it's kind of funny. We read in Psalm 93 about how God wanted to give them rest with his truth, even in the midst of, you know, the time frame between now and that day. And then they would have trials, you know, through the whole time. It didn't matter because they would have peace for the path and joy for the journey and they would have rest in their souls. Why? Because they're yoked with Christ. But when you harden your hearts and you don't allow the work and word and ways of the Lord to sink in, then what ends up happening is that God must then deal with you like he did with the children of Israel. You know, and verse 11, it could mean a lot of things. Maybe there's someone here today who's not really a Christian. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I look out and I think, well, they're probably all Christians, but, you know, maybe there's one here today and there's an element of application to that. Uh, We read in the book of Hebrews, talks about the same thing. Um, What ended up happening is they were going back to works and God says, no, they're not entering my rest. But I think for us as Christians, the application is a little different in that, man, I don't know about you, but I love to rest, man. I wanted to take a nap so bad today. You have no idea. And I told you guys many times that I can sleep while I'm driving. I mean, I can sleep. I love to sleep, you know. But um, I, I just love it. I love kicking back and you know, there's this one rocking chair that we have in the house. I guess I'm getting old. <laughs> And once I'm in that rocking chair, I'm out, man. I mean, this is a guarantee. It's a matter of minutes, you know. And I cherish it. There's a lot of people. My heart goes out to them. I'm not making the spiritual, physical connection always, but, but, but I, 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 feel, I, I feel so sorry for them. My heart goes out to them because they can't sleep. And I've talked to individuals, man, and it's just, it's almost like torment. They can't sleep. You know, and sometimes it's a physical explanation, you know. But I think sometimes you know, there is a spiritual connection. And, and God just, as we go through the Psalms and we go through his character and we see who he is, I think he wants us to let all his love and his goodness and his power and his promises, he wants to let them all sink in. And as we let them sink in, then I think that he... He gives us that rest. And it's a cool thing. And I pray that you guys would possess that. And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and your grace and your psalms. They're so beautiful, Lord. And Lord, just thank you for being the rock of our salvation. And Lord, your word says, it specifically said, there's no other rock besides you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just... uh, Always, always, always love you. Live for you, Lord, and listen to you. I lift up my brothers and sisters here today, and just in case they're going through anything, Father God. I know it's just a a Sunday, another Sunday, and I know it's kind of just a Sunday night. And maybe, you know, in our weakness, um, we're not thinking that, you know, anything profound can happen on a Sunday night. But it can. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are. And today, if we wouldn't harden our hearts, as a matter of fact, today, if we would soften our hearts and open our hearts, Lord, I know you can do a work. And and I'm not just speaking to my brothers and sisters here, Lord. I'm speaking to myself. Strengthen us, Lord. Lord.
been so wonderful to us, Lord, all these years. And we open our heart again to you, Lord. Remind us, Lord. Bless your people, Lord. I just thank you for them. I thank you for the amazing things that you're doing. Uh, you're sovereign and you're wonderful. Be with us now, Lord, even as we close with this last song. Encourage us in your love, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand.